Explorable is a podcast about travel, disability, and inclusion. I'm Josh Loebner, Director of Strategy at Design Sensory. I'm co-host Toby Willis, Senior Product Manager for Inclusive Technology and President of the Ability Inclusion Movement at Expedia Group. We're both blind. And we love everything travel. This is Explorable. We interview experts, advocates, and allies of tourism, destinations, and disability to make each journey more explorable. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of the Explorable podcast. It has been an amazing and wild ride. Before we get started, Toby, it's a a little belated. You know, sometimes I'm not sure about the timeline of when the the podcast airs, but I say International Day of Persons with Disabilities could be every day. So I just want to give a shout out to that celebration. How are you doing, Toby? Yeah, thanks, Josh. I'm doing really well and uh, happy Disability Day to you as well. Um, And excited about today's episode. Um, Looking forward to hearing from our friend Trin. Well, that's terrific. Let's just dive in. And Toby gave it away. Our guest, if you have not heard of him, you soon will hear some amazing stories. Shrin Matapali, he's an entrepreneur. He's a business founder, investor, disability advocate, and most importantly for this podcast, he is a world traveler. Shrin originally studied to be a research scientist focusing on genetics before retraining as a corporate lawyer. He discovered, though, he didn't want to be one, and we'll hear a little bit more about that in just a few minutes. Uh, He graduated with an MBA from Oxford and did some amazing things when it came to teaching himself programming and coding. To really dive into what were some challenges uh, at one time and potentially still today in some places, and that's how people with disabilities can connect online to make sure that their travel experience is as phenomenal as possible. Shrin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Josh. Uh, like, yeah, great to, great to be here. Tell us Go a little it. bit uh, about your disability story. Sure. So um, I, I have a disability called spinal muscular atrophy. Um, so it's, it's a, a neuromuscular condition that I was born with. Um, so since, you know, my, my earliest memories, I, you know, I've had very little movement of my arms and, uh, and, and my legs. And for most of my life, I have used a powered wheelchair to get around. And these days, you know, since since you know, a, a young teenager was was requiring the assistance um, or of PCAs around the clock to, to help me with all my day to day and life needs and uh, yeah, like I think you know from from very early on um, have been incredibly sort of I think dependent is is the wrong word. I've been very incredibly empowered by by technology to allow me to live life in the way that I that I want to. That's amazing. Uh, thanks for sharing that, Saran. I know uh, for the listeners who who know you, uh, we're all so excited to hear more about um, your entrepreneurship. As Josh mentioned in the intro, uh, you started Accommable, which was acquired uh, by Airbnb, and that is quite uh, an accomplishment. Um, and I'm uh, really proud of you and of of your success in that space. So uh, please do tell us more about that experience of starting Accommable 
and just take us through um, the acquisition and, and some, um, you know, how you grew that uh, through the Airbnb channels. Sure thing. I think like with most of the, most of the best things in life, it all started somewhat serendipitously. Um, as, as Josh uh, alluded to, I, I, was, I was doing an MBA and I was in Oxford at the time and I was learning to code and I was just sort of really kind of loving sort of what you could do with technology and, and building things. And um, after, I, after I, I graduated, I was doing a handful of freelance assignments to try and improve my skills. And you know, I was looking for interesting projects where I could A, improve my coding skills, but B, and more importantly, do things that I felt were valuable and impactful for, for, our, for our community. And travel had always been something in the back of my mind where I'd been thinking a lot about, like, we really could do so much better. Like, um, so in 2011, I, I took about six months off to go traveling. So I was a corporate lawyer at the time and a very what's the right phrase here? Like I, I, was a, I, was a, I was a somewhat bored corporate lawyer. Like as much as I learned tons from the experience, it wasn't really quite the career for me. So I took some time off to go traveling. And while I had the most wonderful time and, you know, got to learn to scuba dive in Bali at an adapted diving center and, you know, went to a specialist sort of, you know, camping safari in Southern Africa and traveled all around Europe and the US. And while I had an extraordinary time, I was constantly coming up against inaccessible accommodation of, of every kind. And it was just such a frustration to me, like even then that like with technology, we still were not cracking this problem. So back in sort of 2014, 2015, I was freelancing as a developer and learning to code and teamed up with my friend Martin. And we were looking for sort of ideas and we thought, look, what could we build that is cool and good for our community and solves a problem? And um, I put together a prototype of a Commodore um, in a month or so in sort of this sort of spring, early summer of 2015 and um, then shared it out on social media and with friends and just all of a sudden started getting a lot of super positive feedback on it. So, I mean, I know, I know Josh and Toby were sort of mentioning about sort of, you know, this was a business, but actually it didn't even start off as a business. We, we just started off doing this because we thought this was an important project and just we took it from there. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and that's how a lot of these... Um labors of love start where it's where you know I've, I've started a couple of businesses myself and you just do it because you love it and you see the opportunity to affect change and that leads um as it did in your case into a business that that was acquired by a by a major player in the travel industry so tell us what that felt like so i mean as mentioned we started the company in 2015 um, we then raised a load of funding from private investors and venture capital type folks in London. And the company was going really fast and we had lots of demand from guests wanting accessible accommodation, but we did not have the capital to sort of take the platform to the next level. And we'd started a fundraising round, uh, or I guess what we call in tech, a series A funding round. And, um, so it started that kind of, you know, that roadshows process of speaking to investors in London and Silicon Valley. And one of my existing investors at the time said like, hey, Shrin, have you considered seeing whether an existing 
like travel platform that already has the infrastructure and the distribution channels, whether they could be either an investor or a partner to help you scale. And so, you know, we're very open to the idea and was incredibly fortunate that somebody in our investor base um, had some connections to some people at Airbnb and brokered that introduction. And then, yeah, I, I went out to California. I probably should have added, so I'm based, um, I'm from and I'm based in London. And uh, yeah, so I went out to California um, to, to do this presentation. And very quickly, the, the conversation moved from, this is not one of investment for Airbnb. We would actually sort of, the, the real interest for us would be to be able to buy a Commodore and have your team and have all of the expertise sort of shared within the entire Airbnb platform. And so that was, that started off in the summer of 2017 and then we closed the deal um, end of 2017. And yeah, look, it was a huge, a huge roller coaster of a journey. And part of the deal was that I would be moving out from London to San Francisco to build out this new team and division at Airbnb. So um, I moved back to London earliest this year, just before the pandemic. Um, but yeah, so I was in America for the for, for 2018 and 2019. And so, but going back to your question about the deal process, like, yeah, look, it was a roller coaster. It involved a huge number of big life changes for me. And also, you know, it was very important that for me to agree to the acquisition. Like I've got to feel comfortable that this is in the best interests for our community, our team, and all the other people that are part of what we do. Yeah. So uh, did, is that the case? Is that what came to fruition at Airbnb after the acquisition? Were you, do you feel like you were able to achieve those goals? Um, a lot of them. I, I, I don't think we achieved all of them. I, I think, you know, in hindsight, and I say this, you know, as a, as a former a former employee, so I I left a short while ago to move on to take a bit of a break from things, um, and so I think look, I think we did a lot, and I think we got a lot of the changes we wanted to do. I think I probably underestimated that just changes take a lot longer when you are in a larger organization that mm -hmm. has a global footprint. You know, it's not like a startup where you can come up with an idea on a Monday and you know, build it on a Tuesday and a Wednesday and then ship it on a Thursday and then, you know, decide what to do on a Friday. Whereas in a, in a large corporation that has a global presence, things just take longer. And for like, for good reason, you know, there are more considerations around like, I don't know, are, are you building something with all the right security principles in place? Or, you know, are you making sure you're coordinating with like customer service teams and other teams in other geographies and working with your policy? There's just so many more stakeholders that are part of the process. So look, by and large, I think we got a lot of the things and a lot of the underlying values that were within a Commodore have sort of been embedded within Airbnb. But, you know, I'm a kind of guy where naturally I always wish more could be done. Like you always want to be perfect right. and have everything like in the perfect way. But as you guys know, like, you know, it's, 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 it's you know, solid progress is just as important. Sharon, if we could maybe kind of peel back from from the current story to right when you started to to come up with a comma bolt, um, what were some of the major challenges that you saw that weren't really uh, being bridged for the disability community when it came to travel and tourism in the digital space? Yeah, so great question. So I think 
think there's a number of different things that were not being catered for for our community. One, I think up until then, everybody simply thought accessibility means a checkbox on a listing. Like there was no thought put into like, is this information correct? Is there enough information? How do we build trust? I think people are seeing like disability related issues as a tick box rather than seeing it, how do we tailor our product for this audience and category of, of customers who are ready, willing and able to spend their, 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 spend, spend their money on travel. And I, and I think that was the big bridge for us. It was not seeing disability as a compliance thing. It was seeing accessibility and disability as a valued but underserved audience. Right. It's an opportunity. It's a market expansion opportunity. Yep. And that by tailoring that experience to that audience, you can build a viable, growing, scalable business. So as you um, mentioned, Sren, you're, um, you're transitioning, I believe. And uh, so I'm wondering what gaps are still out there? What, um, for those of us, you know, working in the travel industry, where should we be putting our effort? So I think, I think a number of areas, so as you said, like I'm, I'm sort of taking a step back and taking a bit of a break for a while just to sort of, you know, recuperate a little bit. Like, I, I'd, you know, it, it's, it's nice to just have a bit of a breather and just, yeah, sit back and reflect on a few things. And actually part of that is just thinking about what next and what are the opportunities. And I think the great thing is that I don't think, or well, it's actually, it's, it's a great and a sad thing, unfortunately, that like, there are lots of opportunities out there. Like I still think there's so much more that can be done to build more trust for those that provide accommodation and those that need accessible accommodation. Like how can we get better photography? How can we get more granular information about a hotel or a rental or an apartment or a whatever? So that's like sort of one area about accommodation and building better tooling and better ways of collecting information. You've then got, like, I guess maybe more the second sort of area where, like, how do we even just increase core supply? Like, as you know, like, hotels may have to have a minimum percentage of their rooms as, as accessibility compliant in whichever jurisdiction they're in. Um, fine, but then, you know, like, actually, like, that's still a relatively small number in the grand scheme of things. Or in the world of, like, rentals and private homes, unfortunately, Again, there is still a low critical mass of fundamental accessible supply. So I think the second area I think a lot about is like, how do you increase the fundamental source of accommodation that has been built with accessibility in mind? And I don't know whether that's maybe less of a business thing, just, just as much as a policy thing and that, you know, our, our, our local, local planning officials and those in the construction industry need to sort of think more about and the third area, I think, where there's a huge amount of opportunity is in like ancillary services that are maybe not accommodation, but related to accommodation and travel. So, you know, if you do travel somewhere, you're not just going to stay in a, in a room and sleep for two weeks. You want right. to go out and enjoy your local area. You want to be able to move around more easily. You want to be have a good time. You may want to meet people. And how do we better facilitate all those all the things that enrich a travel experience, how do we make those more accessible? Yeah, Shireen, I want to circle back to something you said earlier about compliance versus, versus value, and that is such a powerful statement. I feel like there, there's a, a misconception about disability and that if you simply allow people with disabilities to have some type of accessibility, 
that mm. that's all that needs to be done when it comes to travel and tourism, but there's so much more. And so what do you feel like there are still potentially some, some misconceptions out there when it comes to disability travel? I think there's a number of misconceptions and I think that it's, there is like a scale, like some are, are misconceptions, but in sort of very much good faith. Um, some might be misconceptions, but maybe more just out of plain ignorance. And I think, you know, it, it, it spans the entire spectrum from people woefully underestimating the opportunity and assuming that disabled people don't travel to those who, you know, just don't like, yeah, who, who aren't aware of what the needs of travelers with accessibility are, or actually on a slight, you know, may have slightly more old fashioned views on what a traveler with a disability wants on an experience. So, you know, there is a, there is a real spectrum. Serena, I'm wondering if Airbnb did any uh, targeted marketing to the disabled community, like featuring people with disabilities in ads or anything like that. Sure. So some of that had start. I wouldn't say targeted in terms of like, you know, did we sort of do sort of like a disability focused campaign? No, I think what we tried to do was bake disability representation into just regular kind of marketing materials as is. And I think that was quite an important, like just, you know, given the, the, the status and platform of Airbnb, Mm. a marketing outreach campaign can reach so many different people and so actually we thought the more impactful thing in those situations was actually how do we make sure like campaigns are diverse and inclusive and how do we include disability within those general campaigns that's a good paradigm because you know inclusion is just that you know we want to be a part of all these aspects of a company's um business and I think it's important for, you know, companies to understand this market and represent us in a way that, you know, um, draws us to the product. Yeah. And at the end of the day, like 15% of the world's population has a disability of some kind, at least. So uh, at least that, um, that number. So it's making sure that like, you know, we are getting that representation within within our public facing materials. Uh, were, did we get quite there? No, but like the process had been started. And I'll just ask a follow up to that, Sren. Why do you feel like disability seems to, to an extent, be the the last minority group to be recognized when it comes to travel and tourism, or or corporate representation, or even in advertising campaigns? It may take like two to three hours to go through all the different reasons, but I would, I, I would think it, it's a real mixture of, of, of aspects. Like I feel some of the fundamental institutional barriers for disabled people were in place a lot longer compared to other minority groups, which meant that, you know, there were just so many more obstacles for people who are disabled to get that foot in the door in employment work their way up the corporate ladder and kind of be in positions where that change could be made. I think it has started, but it, unfortunately it was, it just started a lot later compared to other, to, to other groups. Um, I think secondly as well, just like today, like I think a lot of the inclusion narrative has just has simply just not included disability. It has often been overlooked and hence, you know, that advocacy, that advocacy work, has sort of, you know, again, it started off slightly from behind. Like, I think a lot of people are doing great things at the moment and like a huge, 
huge leaps are being made, but I think this just ha- this this just started at a much later time compared to other inclusion campaigns. I'm wondering about the you know the t- in in regards to the business case, were you able um, through your work at Accommable and Airbnb to to really demonstrate that um, that market value of this community? I feel so. Like I think you know Airbnb would not have acquired Accommable unless right unless like there was a viable business case i think the next challenge now is not the business case but how do we prioritize the disability and accessibility business case above other business cases right and i think so i feel like we did a i think we did a really good job validating that there is a business case i think now the question that i think a lot about is like how do we elevate this let's say a company I don't know, can prioritize five things in a given year or 10 things in a given year. How do we get disability into that top 10? Yeah, I think uh, for our listeners who work in the travel industry and they're facing that challenge, you know, when they uh, are inspired by the podcast and they go to their leadership and say, we got to do this. um, You know, I think that's the question is how, how do they get that work prioritized? How do they get the resources that's needed. And, and I feel like, you know, having that business case, um, well proven is a, is a key to that. That's the start. And hopefully the start, you know, right. start seeing, you know, Hey, look, here's this work that Toby's doing. Here's the work that Schwinn's doing, the Airbnb, Expedia, whoever, like these are the investments and look at the public, like look at the work that you can see publicly about, um, all this stuff that's happening. If they're doing it, why aren't we doing it? Right. And it's, it's just the right thing to do. So I think once, you know, you get through the door with the business case, you get people's attention and they realize the social justice issue. And I think that motivates people um, to really lean into the work. And I think, you know, just using the business case to get the meeting, uh, for example, and then telling the story about the disabled travel experience really uh, begins to move people's mind toward a more inclusive uh, paradigm. Yeah. And I think just to add to that, another thing that really worked well for us was, so the business case, yes, is sort of table stakes, but then like a lot of our work was also about empathy building. So people aren't seeing inclusion and disability just about like, Oh, we need to do this because there's a business reason, but actually understanding the problems and empathizing with those problems. So we did a lot of lunch and learns where we would invite disability community groups um, to do panel discussions with lots of different teams and teams that may have had nothing to do with accessibility, but you know, we're just curious to learn what is it, what it is like to travel with a disability. So you know, we would bring in um, folks local to the office who had a disability to do a talk about their travel experiences, um, allow members of the company to ask questions and it'd be a little bit of a safe space to sort of ask whatever. Um, and actually, like, for me, the goal was if somebody is considering this, you want them to think, you want them to really think about, like, and remember these experiences that of what they've been told and sort of you know, put a bit of a human face behind some of the things that they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. People don't remember stats, but they remember stories. And I think exactly right. And you, that's human nature. That's right. And you can't just throw it over the accessibility wall. It has to be uh, sort of in the DNA of the company. So I'm glad you, yeah, you brought it's that like, up. I'm going to make these changes, not just because Shren has put this business case. I'm making these changes because, ah, do you know what? Like 
you know, my mate John, you know, was doing a talk last week and wow, like, I, I think you've got to humanize it as well. I couldn't agree more, Shrannon, and I really appreciate you bringing up empathy. Too often, uh, when it comes to programmers, developers, designers, I, in, in my world of advertising, disability and accessibility is something potentially that is now just being taught, but more so, I would argue from a skills standpoint to be able to have the skills and knowledge to, for example, make a website that uh, has color contrasts appropriate for people who are colorblind. But uh, there, there isn't oftentimes the empathy that's woven into those students who are learning that or for those professionals that are just now understanding about accessibility. So uh, to hear you share the empathy portion, at least from uh, my world, is, is very powerful and that, uh, that means a lot. And that is a layer that for sure shouldn't be forgotten. It, it circles back to that compliance versus commitment. So thank you for bringing that up. And, and with that, Shren, thanks so much for being our guest. And, and I do want to ask one more question. Where can people connect with you? Probably the best way is LinkedIn. If you just sort of Google LinkedIn, Shren Madapali, like I'm sure my LinkedIn profile comes on there somewhere. That's awesome. Shren, I'm so happy that Josh and I were able to get you on the show. Likewise. Thanks. And uh, no, great, great to be here. And thank you so much for, for inviting me. And thank you for doing this podcast. Yeah, for sure. We wish you all the best in your future endeavors and come back on the show again um, next I, year. I eagerly, I eagerly await the invite. All right. It's, it's in the mail. <laughs> oh, that old excuse. Shrin, huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Toby, thanks so much. This has been another episode of Explorable. We'll see you next time. Explorable is a Design Century original production in collaboration with the Travelability Summit and produced by Brad Carpenter. Find out more about our productions, podcasts, and insights at designcentury.com slash originals and travelabilitysummit.com. You can connect with Josh Loebner or myself, Toby Willis, on LinkedIn.